You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. And you guys got to send me some more spots because I don't have any right now. So for now, I'm the ESPN, uh, I'm the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee and also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at uh, ESPN Slinger, my hometown. So shout out to all the owls out there. Hoot hoot. Um, Joining me as always for this wonderful podcast is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? You know we're getting close to the season because we can actually record like on consecutive days and have things to talk about and not, you know, have to manufacture <laughs> topics and conjure them from thin air. So um so thankful for that. Uh we had some some more video from uh for, for those of us who weren't uh at the Freightert and Medical College of Wisconsin sports science center did i just get the name right there you go we've had it for we've had it Bingo. for over Got a year it. um i saw katie george did her first um I, I i don't know if it was i think it was her first piece from uh from the uh f it and m c w s s c um and she joked about having to like cram that in at the end of uh her report and then <laughs> like as i was thinking about it, i was like okay i'm obviously not a television personality but i've seen that phrase now for over a year and uh it's still just crazy awkward to say uh even now so um i feel like that's you know between that and Giannis Dedekumbo, um you know those are the kind of litmus test uh things for for new new bucks people on the bucks beat or bucks tv and all that so um <laughs> shout out to you katie for uh for <laughs> clearing your first hurdle um but uh but yeah we had some videos from uh from practice and and you were there you asked some of the questions that i heard getting answered from mike budenholzer or son Eliasova, thon maker and was that it was there anybody else today or was that it dante divincenzo oh little, little secret dante divincenzo interview that didn't go up on bucks.com mm-hmm. yet little secret dante <laughs> uh yeah a little secret dante for the day um no secret here though today's episode of lockdown bucks brought to you by vivid seats go to the app store or google play and download the vivid seats app enter promo code lockdown l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n to receive 20 dollars off orders of 200 or more as a new customer of vivid seats uh so 20 dollars off orders of 200 dollars or more as a new customer of vivid seats so go out and do that today we're always happy to have new sponsors new partners and thank you so much for vivid seats uh we're happy to have you so there is some secret dante um also some uh some talk of dante uh from mike boonholzer being very impressive um which we didn't talk about this last week, and again, um, we're going to kind of flow in and out with some fact or fiction, or really, we're just going to end up talking about everything uh, that we've kind of thought about in the last couple of days a little bit today. Um, and 
he so Boonholzer said that, which obviously we know Bud kind of a, a Dante DiVincenzo guy. Um, but surprisingly enough, last week at the Bucks golf outing, uh, John Horst also mentioned that DiVincenzo was looking impressive in the chat that I had with him with Brian D on ESPN Milwaukee. And I, I don't even, I, I don't, I truly don't know what to think of it because I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe he does look impressive, but I guess in my mind, like I'm just at a spot where uh, enough Bucks first rounders have disappointed at this point that it's just like, well, you got to prove it. Like I, I'm not going to believe anything about any rookie until I actually see something. Yeah, I mean, if the Bucks actually got like anything resembling serviceable rotation minutes from a first round pick, that would be really the most we've seen since. Um, Jabari Parker in his first, what, 25 games before he tore his ACL. I mean, Thon obviously had some moments as a rookie, but um, I mean, he was not like a good or useful or even decent rotation player uh, as a rookie in that kind of second half of the season when he started getting some run. I mean, that was still very much, um, you know, just random kind of sparks of, of play with a lot of very rough edges. Um, so the bar is not very high. Obviously the bar is higher when you factor in that we have seen some, certainly Malcolm Brogdon, obviously being rookie of the year, only a underwhelming rookie of the year by that standard, but obviously a very good rookie. Uh, And Sterling Brown, I think had some moments last year. I mean, I think if you saw kind of a Sterling Brown level of play um, from DiVincenzo this year, um, I'd be okay with that. I mean, I've, I've said on this podcast that I think Brown's a, you know, like a better prospect than Dante probably. Um, not that they're that far apart, but just, um, I think just from a physicality standpoint, I like what Sterling can provide maybe a little bit more, but, um, I gotta but, say you know, seeing Sterling Brown again, I, I looked at Matt Velasquez when we saw him shooting after, uh, practice today. And I was just like, God, Sterling's just jacked, man. Like that dude is big. And I mean, it shouldn't surprise you because obviously uh, the brother of Shannon, Shannon Brown, who was kind of another one of those guys that was big. Uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to me that he's big, but I just found myself thinking that again, as he was uh, taking some threes and then some sidestep threes with Darvin Ham. It was just like, man, that dude is big in, in a league where you are trying to play physical defense on the wing and you know, you're trying to cover multiple positions if if he can hit some shots and if he can find a way to defend without falling, which has been a team emphasis, but also specifically to Sterling Brown, uh, there was about a month where he was at a Larry Sanders uh, pre-breakout uh, kind of level of falling, where it was like seven fouls per 36. Like He was struggling with that. But if he can find a way to stay on the floor, I mean, man, I wonder what he can do this year. And uh, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to jump in, but I just saw him shooting again today and just saw his shoulders and how big he was. And it it just stuck out to me once again. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to compare them in some ways. I mean, like Sterling, especially on this team, um, given the number of kind of shooting guards, uh, you know, Sterling at like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, with a 6'9", wingspan, like 225, 230 pounds. I mean, he's 25 to 30 pounds heavier. I think Dante was about like 200 or so pounds at the combine, I want to say. And yep. I mean, he's got like a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six wingspan. So, you know, he's he's a notably smaller and lighter guy uh, than Sterling. So while I, you know, I think we obviously kind of bucket them in, in kind of that wing rotation competition, um, you know, it's certainly possible that 
that uh, that McBoonholzer might view them somewhat differently in terms of how he might use them. Um, you know, we've talked about obviously could could DiVincenzo, could there even be situations where, you know, he might defend point guards? I mean, I don't think Sterling would probably do that, but I mean, we saw Sterling like defending Chris Paul at times. That was one of the times he got into foul trouble is when he started to mix it up with Chris Paul last year. Um, I was at, at the game in Houston <laughs> where I think he had like three fouls in like five minutes, but yep. he also had like possessions where it was like, man, I really like the defensive intensity from Sterling Brown. It was just like a matter of channeling it. And, you know, I think if you look at um, him over the course of the season, I mean, Ultimately, he was at like one one and a half fouls in, in 14 minutes a game. So, um, you know, if you prorate that out, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, I don't I don't remember what Larry Sanders was at, but it, you know, Larry was like fouling out in less than 30 minutes, right? Which which Sterling thankfully wouldn't have. So he, I think he got better at that as the year went on. But um, but yeah, I, 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 anyway, I think we've derailed. We we started off with secret Dante, <laughs> now we've gotten onto uh, not so secret Sterling Brown. Well, I guess kind of what I wanted to to jump in on there is so one of the the big ideas I think of this offseason has been Mike Budenholzer and got, trying to find the breakout guys. We I know we've got we've both gotten these questions from people on Twitter like, okay, who's the guy that's going to really get the the biggest impact from having Mike Budenholzer as a head coach? Who's the guy that's really going to improve? Who's going to be the breakout guy? And we've had a lot of talk about it. And I mean, I think both of us kind of end up coming back to Sterling a lot. I know both of us are are kind of wondering if Tony Snell can have a a year where, again, he he still shot 40% from three, three last year, but by the end of the season, he was in and out of the rotation. I think we both think Tony Snell could possibly benefit from having Mike Budenholzer around. Um, and we've been thinking about all that. And then one person that always gets brought up is Thon Maker. And on yesterday's podcast, we talked a little bit about, you know, just the idea that when you're thinking through, when you're thinking through Thon, you're, you're trying to, figure out if this can be that season, if he can connect the playoffs together, but we didn't get to actually talk to Thawmaker during media day. His schedule didn't work out. So we had to find a way to try to get him. So we asked for him today, got a chance to talk to him today. And um, I got to say it, and it is, it's literally just talk. I, I haven't seen him play. I, I haven't had a chance to, see the team play. I haven't even seen the the green and cream scrimmage or whatever they're calling it uh, this weekend. I haven't seen any of that. Which is sold out, by the way. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. Selling out a I mean, scrimmage that's, is... That, yeah, that, that's awesome. And I know that like it's not like that. You know, they were charging $100 a ticket and they were trying to you know make a ton of money. I mean, it's obviously just about getting people out there, but, um, but that's a pretty great testament to people's <laughs> interest in the team and the interest in the new building. And anyway... I just derailed you, but but yeah, shout out to uh, to Bucks fans for for hopefully showing out for a great uh, scrimmage this weekend. No, it's it's absolutely crazy. Um, so when thinking through all of that, you know, um, you're trying to decide can Thon be that guy, and we haven't seen him play. But I gotta say, as as we talked with Thon a little bit today, I found myself coming away more worried than um, energized or optimistic. Uh, just, just thinking kind of through 
some of the answers that he had and kind of some of the things that he was thinking about. And I, I don't know, maybe it will be a year where he figures things out. But I know when you and I first started talking before we, we got on the podcast tonight, I had mentioned just the idea that the question I'd asked him was, what were your first thoughts when the team signed Brooke Lopez? Is that a time to worry because you have some competition? Is that uh, a time to, you know, rejoice because you have a veteran that can help you learn some new things like kind of what what goes through your mind and he said that one of the first thoughts that went through his mind was maybe i'm playing some four this year and then he and then he went on to talk a, a little bit about like oh yeah you know we could really have a lot of length out there if you you know if we have like a lineup with with brooke and me and Giannis, and like it just as i heard him say it it there was a lot of things, and I know on this podcast we've had people ask us this question: like, "Oh, isn't Thon a four? Like, shouldn't he shouldn't he be playing the four? Like, he's not big enough to play the five. And again and again, I refrain: is there's only one spot Thon can be an NBA player, and that's at the five. Like, he's he's not quick enough to play the four. He's not ta- like he's not skilled enough to play the four. He he has to be a five if he's if he's going to find a role in the NBA. He has to be a five, and as a five, he has to shoot 30 what what does brooke lopez shoot 34 percent from three he has to shoot 34 35 percent from three he has to have a a quick and willing trigger from three and then defensively he has to be switching and aggressive and able to make a a lot of noise on that end and i i guess in my mind the the perfect answer to that question is something to the effect of you know i I was kind of thinking we'll go thunder and lightning uh at the at the center spot where you know where brooke will be in and he'll be protecting the rim and uh he'll be able to you know kind of just be a solid defender in the paint and then you know i can come in and we can be more aggressive on the traps and, and kind of get things going and maybe that's too advanced of an answer for the first day of training camp um and just like at the start of getting to know mike budenholzer and his scheme but to me that just felt like that was kind of what i thought would be the thought process not maybe i'm going to play a little bit at the four because they have a four his name's Giannis, and he plays 35 minutes a night and they have a backup for who Mike Boonholzer loves in Ersan Eliasova, who's going to mop up the rest of that time. So there's not really any minutes at the four. So if your thought is maybe I'm going to play the four, that means maybe you're not playing. Well, I think this is where we, we need to bring back Billy McKinney for, you know, some of his uh, workout, <laughs> you know, NBA prospect workout um, reality checks. Um, and I, and Thon had one of the all time, uh, you know, workout day uh reality check moments in 2016 when he you know when asked to describe himself he said he thought of himself a modern kg um which i understand was uh you know aspirational and and you know guys don't usually come in and say you know i i hope to be a um you know decent uh eighth man uh who can who can carve out you know meaningful i I hope i can be a modern anthony tolliver or something like that right like (laughs) that's not generally what what prospects are are in the mode of thinking or saying or selling themselves as um but yeah i mean again i it's interesting because on the one hand like fun um like in off court and, and kind of interviews like it seems like you know fun has ambitions of being like this great player uh and and i think a lot of it's obviously kind of you know, 
understandable given that he was fed the idea of him being this next kind of star player when he was in high school and, you know, being this mixtape star and being this highly touted guy, being a lottery pick, um, you know, KG calling him a future MVP, um, reiterating KG's, you know, lack of qualification to ever be a a scout, uh, at the NBA level. Um, but, uh, but then when you see the way Thon plays, I mean, I don't think he has like, he's not a guy who's like getting the ball and like throwing up wild shots and trying to, you know, be a really high usage guy. I mean, granted, he's not an efficient scorer, <laughs> scorer, so he should probably take even fewer shots than he does. But, you know, he at least seems to have a reasonable sense of his place in the pecking order. And he, you know, kind of has that put his head down and do do kind of the little things type mindset, even if he isn't always very successful at doing little things such as <clears throat> defensive rebounding. Um but so it's Sons is such an interesting player because I don't know. Like I mean, I think everybody raves about sort of him as a person, his work ethic, and so he's a guy you root for. You know, just seeing him, you like answering the questions. Like his energy is like really positive, and you, you kind of want to see him put it all together. Um, but look, I'm at this point, I would consider myself kind of a fun skeptic in kind of the grand scheme of the universe. I I don't you know really view him as. Um, a guy who's ever going to be more than, you know, like a, a role-playing, potentially still role-playing starter, just because, again, his skill set is unique. You know, if he can shoot threes and defend at a high enough level, then uh, then I think he's interesting. But I don't I don't view him ever as like a, you know, 34-minute-per-game type guy on a, on a good team. I think he's probably always going to be, you know, a 20 to 25-minute guy, and hopefully he proves me wrong. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, as we've discussed, like, he's he's not a four. He just, I mean, he can't dribble or pass and he didn't even shoot well last year so you don't do those things like there's no way you can be an effective guy in a modern NBA office I mean the Bucks have been killed when he's been on the floor period um even as a five where obviously the the bar is much lower especially offensively so um so yeah I mean I think especially at this point the way the NBA is trending you know the the idea of playing your jumbo lineup um that they just don't tend to work you know I mean Philly was maybe one example with Simmons and Saric and Embiid being able to really make it work in kind of a a jumbo configuration and, and with that lineup that was great last year but that's generally few and far between and um, again you know Simmons and Embiid are obviously very unique talents and and so they're a bit different anyway um, but yeah I, I don't know I mean you know look we're we're day one of camp um, I'm not going to overreact to anything and especially Thon a guy who you know usually kind of talks big things. Um, you know, let's just say his his interviews tend to be very aspirational. I'll use that word again. And uh, I I think with Thon, you know, it's kind of a metaphor in a way for the way you have to use him. Like, you know, you can't. I mean, if if he ever plays the four this year, that's Mike Budenholzer's fault. Like, look, you you know, Thon is is like the wind up toy. You you know, you set him out there. You hope he's playing with energy, and you try to keep things simple for him. And I think you know he hasn't shown an advanceability to play different types of defense i think he's been really good when he switches so you know he's good when you just sort of have him defend what's in front of him and kind of do simple things and that's i think probably you know his path to being a successful nba player and so hopefully he does that but i think that's one really interesting question you know i think one of the fundamental questions about the bucks and their defensive style i think thon made comments today about how well it's not that different from what they did last year which i'm, I'm sure um, led some bucks fans to kind of grind their teeth <laughs> really oh god um but um but by the same token uh you know i think for thon the thing we didn't see consistently last year was sometimes they switched him a lot and he looked 
pretty good, especially in the playoffs. He looked great as like a switch every in a switch every everything lineup. When he wasn't switching, um, he ran into a lot more trouble. So I think that's a, one of the kind of fundamental questions that that I'm curious to see about this Bucks team is, you know, does Mike Budenholzer kind of adapt his system such that like you know yeah when brooke lopez is out there you're not switching everything you're not switching anything with brooke um you can switch all the other guys um but like how much do they kind of tailor their defense to kind of the unique talents of uh of their of their roster especially at the center spot where you know thon gives them a very very different look from from uh brooke lopez and even from from john henson yeah and i i do think if this defense is going to work um I think that's kind of what it has to be. And I know during media day, I I included it in our clip last night, um, but it was that clip about the defense where you hear Mike Boonholzer talking about, hey, can we find a way to have a highly intelligent, high IQ group? Can we find a way to, you know, be able to adjust our game plan from night to night, from quarter to quarter, from after a timeout like that that was that was something that he specifically mentioned and i think when you think about that adaptability and whether or not they can do all of those things to me thon sits kind of at the center of that because as we've talked about the defense that mike boonholzer ran it it was always very aggressive and again i, I know a number of people will always bring back oh last season you know they, they really were not that aggressive and you know they were they were willing to drop and pick and rolls more and they weren't helping quite as much and all of that's true but they also sucked um <laughs> they, they weren't a good basketball team they didn't have good defensive basketball players they were overwhelmingly young they didn't have a defensive player half as talented as Giannis like that just didn't exist so like I I get the rebuttal in that regard but at the same time we haven't seen him have a successful defense that has done those things so to me that's that's kind of where my mind goes is okay what what does this defense look like and yeah if it's going to be adaptable I think at the front of it has to be Thon being the best version of Thon we know, which is switching a lot, not being asked to uh, sprint out to the backside, do anything like that, like being able to trap a pick and roll or being able to fully switch, um, just uh, essentially being aggressive and taking out some of the the real difficult reads that you can have when you ask him to go in between or to stunt on a, on a pick and roll, the ball handler on a pick and roll, make sure his defender gets back, say it's blood. So make sure blood. gets back to his man and then recover. Like that's not something he does well, but if he can be aggressive in those moments, he can do well. Um, but a- again, like you said, Thon is always, he, he always has been very aspirational. Um, and with, and in some ways I, I think with the people that have surrounded him for years, they've kind of, enabled that if that's the right thing to say and i i guess in his first two seasons i think for good reason like you do want guys hoping to uh you know kind of be the home run kind of hoping to be uh just a, a huge value add uh you know be the next big thing like those are all good things and especially when uh that guy is seven feet tall and he does move well like i get hoping for some of those things but at some point, like it's year three, and you got to be an NBA player at some point. <laughs> like I, I know people enjoy listening to it on the podcast, but I don't necessarily enjoy asking, "Is that maker an NBA player?" 
I don't enjoy that. Like it, it would be better if he was an NBA player. And I never had asked that question again. So uh, to me, that's, I think a big question and a ton of people have kind of pointed to Thon as the guy, right? That that's going to be, that's going to be Mike Boonholzer's breakout guy that he's going to find a way to unleash Thon maker. And it's a great idea, but also I don't know if it's the most realistic. I think maybe some of those wing guys are a little bit more realistic. So um, that was just something I ended up thinking about today. And obviously, we kind of got our first chance to talk to Thon today. So it all kind of went together. So we got to do that. Um, I was going to say, there's a couple, there's a one or two other things I want to talk about with Coach Bud from our talk with him today. Uh, but first, we didn't talk a ton about Giannis yesterday, which is, I think, one of our, our fatal flaws is we get so deep into Buck stuff that we don't talk about, you know, the, the best player on the team and the guy that's going to be an MVP candidate this year. Um, I would say from the, the stuff that we heard from Giannis last, or on Monday, I think obviously the most interesting stuff was probably the Kobe stuff. Right, like I don't, I don't know that he said anything else really earth shattering uh, outside of that. But um, I mean, it, many times before I've I've called the, or I've called Giannis a Kobe level lunatic, and somehow managing to out lunatic Kobe at a workout you have with Kobe by showing up three hours early and doing a full workout before he actually showed up. Yeah, if there was ever any doubts that he was a Kobe level lunatic, well, those should should go away because he, he definitely is. Well, but the plus side is that he's actually like socially not weird and not like an outcast, like especially young Kobe was. You know, like you always hear the stories that Kobe like didn't know how to interact with people when yep. he was first coming to the NBA and just like you know growing up, he just got used to just sitting at home. What were the stories about like? You know, I forget what it was like his like high school girlfriend, like he would just like invite her over just to like sit around and watch highlight videos of himself or something. Like that. Like, so he he stayed yeah. out of trouble, but he was like yeah. um, a pretty lame hang, it sounded like, which uh, Giannis has managed to kind of find seemingly this balance of being like this really gregarious and fun person, um, you know, off the court, but then also mixing that with this like really driven kind of focused um you know, mindset in terms of, you know, working on his craft and, and having that, you know, the, the Mamba mentality in the gym um, while still having, you know, being like a functional non-sociopath um, outside of that. So shout out to you, Giannis, for being like this amazing person that is easy to root for while also, you know, working relentlessly to get better. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if anyone has missed it, I'm guessing if you listen to our podcast, you you know, probably have, have seen it or heard about it, but um, the series of uh, interview, well, it was one interview that they broke up and I think it's now four parts of Jim Paschke interviewing Giannis. They did this last year as well. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, you know, a, uh, a great thing to, to check out. Um, fun to hear Giannis tell stories about not just Kobe, but just, you know, general, like kind of what he's been working on. Um, you know, I enjoyed the anecdote about um, where uh, when, uh, Jim, I think, like came into the practice center and um, Giannis was playing. Giannis was playing, and and like Giannis like yelled at Jim to like, <laughs> "Hey, watch, watch me shoot this three. Like he was basically, like, "Hey, look what I can do now." And you know, he like hit a three or, or something like there's, that. There's which never is, been anything more easy to imagine than Giannis telling Jim like, "Hey, Jim, watch me," and like hitting a three. Like that, it's very Giannis. Yeah, which is like kind of one of those things that um is like, yeah, I mean, whatever it's like a meaningless thing in some respects, but then it's kind of symbolic of the fact that yeah, Giannis 
really did want him. I mean, he knows that the three-point shot is kind of the thing that is missing from his game and, and that it's uh, something that obviously would, would change the dynamic of of how teams have to defend him and, and the geometry of the court for his team. So um, it sounds like that legitimately was a bigger point of emphasis than it's ever been in the past this summer. And, you know, that fun little story, I think, is kind of emblematic of that. You know, it's like, hey, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm taking it seriously. So um, definitely we're checking out all that. Um, the Kobe stuff was interesting. I will say this. Um, if you guys watched the Kobe uh, the Kobe part of the interview on the Bucks Facebook page. I think it was originally just on the Bucks Facebook page. Now it may be partly on Twitter and thebucks.com as well. But if you don't find it there, go to the Bucks Twitter or Bucks Facebook page. Um, the part where like Kobe told him like, oh, you know, you got to be like a kid, and you know, and it was like, well, ask questions, and you know, like have not like be child like childish but like you know retain some of the good qualities of being a kid in terms of the way you approach the game and question things and enjoy yourself things like that and i thought it was kind of lame though i don't know who asked the question we don't have to um out the person who asked the question but somebody then like in his media day was like oh we heard about kobe telling you to be like a kid what did he mean by that it's like Giannis answered this exact question <laughs> on, the damn, on this damn Facebook interview. Like, just get your soundbite from that. Okay, not that Giannis cared. He's obviously happy to talk about this stuff. But um, that was my one random thing um, that, that I'd add. Um, and I will say this, Eric, don't deny that we gave Giannis lots of uh, Giannis Flocky talk yesterday, talking about whether Giannis <laughs> uh, was too jacked. Um, so we got a fair bit sure. of you know Giannis over over scrutiny in yesterday, but it did come at the end. So um, again, we don't mean to ever put Giannis on the back burner, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's funny. He's the guy we take for granted because we know we kind of know what we can expect from him, and all these other guys are the ones we question. But but obviously that that uh, we don't want to lose sight of um, you know the greatest Bucks player certainly that I think I will ever see <laughs> in my lifetime. Yeah, um, which which is is pretty awesome to to think about to say out loud so anyway i was gonna say with that um i guess just a couple things i've been thinking about and yeah i would say like you can tell that there's I get, and it's just kind of what makes Giannis so endearing is i think you can actually see how excited he was that he got to work out with kobe like you could just see in his face, like when he got questions about it, like he, you could tell, like, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm kind of shy. Like, I don't want to talk about it. And then it was just like, yep. I'd love to talk about it. Like this, you could tell that that did really mean a lot to him. And I don't think that should be a surprise uh, really to anyone. Um, the one thing that, that I do find interesting. And uh, again, I, I kind of want to dig in on it at some point. Um, and it'll require Giannis to be open about this, but I'm curious. I asked the question at media day. I did not get the response I was looking for. It was a good response, but not the one I was looking for, but I am curious like to, to know why this summer was the time. Um, like why, and again, obviously it required Giannis to get to a certain level to be able to, uh, think of working out with Kobe asking for Kobe workout and then Kobe actually working out with him. But, you know, like in the past we've heard, uh, Oh man, what's Dirk shooting coach's name? I can never think of it. Holger, Holger Geschwinder. There it is. Like 
Holger Geschwinder. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. I I needed that. Sorry. Um, no, I, I needed. I had, to, I had like I had to switch into German mode there for a second. <laughs> I needed it, so I appreciate that. Um, but when you know, like he had reached out, like there was some thought that you know Giannis could work out with him, and he decided not to. And uh, Kevin Arnovitz last year wrote that LeBron's camp had reached out to Giannis and asked if he'd want to work out with LeBron. And he turned that down. And uh, to me, I would guess it's kind of the idea, like I don't want to work out with anyone that could possibly be connected to anyone that's still in the league that, you know, even if it is just Dirk's shooting coach, like Dirk is still in the league. He could give Dirk some of my secrets or some of my weaknesses or something like that. Or LeBron, especially like I don't want to work out with LeBron because then LeBron knows me and I have to beat LeBron. Um, So I would just be curious, you know, what was it that, you know, kind of attracted him to Kobe? Because in many ways, they're, their mentalities may be very similar, but their games are, I mean, I think incredibly different. Like they, they aren't very similar players. So I would just, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by the, the decision. And obviously uh, during his response to me, he said, well, you know, Kobe's Kobe, which makes sense to me. uh, And I get, but I would be curious uh, to know a little bit more about that and and kind of learn a little bit more about that. So uh, just some other stuff, you know, kind of thinking about uh, with Giannis and I mean, I think everything else was, was pretty basic with him. uh, Just kind of the, the way that he thinks through things. And um, we've talked about it throughout this year and, or excuse me, throughout the summer, but, how does Mike Boonholzer coach a superstar? He's never really had one before. Um, he is very focused on off-ball movement, on moving the basketball. Um, how does that How does that sort of work with Giannis? And what does that mean for Giannis? I think those questions will be very interesting uh, for us to kind of figure out as, as we move forward. So uh, last thing I wanted to talk about for the day was Mike Budenholzer. And I think one of... One of the things both Matt Velasquez and I noticed and Ben Steele of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel as well when we walked in was, hey, look at that. There's blue squares on the floor. Oh, look at that. Those blue squares happen to be in the corners, the top of the key, and on the wings extended. I wonder what those could be for. Obviously, uh, kind of an an idea for players to get to those spots and space the floor, um, that those are are spots that they need to fill. And when we talked to Dante DiVincenzo about it, when we talked to uh, Ursan about it, when we talked to uh, Mike Boot. Oh, you're going to let us in on some of this secret Dante interview? I I swear it was tweeted out, but maybe it's not. I I can let you in on some of the secret Dante. Uh, I don't even want to see it now because the, the mystique is more important important to me than, than actually seeing it but you you keep alluding to it without giving me any real substance from it sure. so now it's just like it's it's like the i mean this interview this is the interview equivalent of you know the uh the dream team versus uh college stars <laughs> game you know scrimmage from like 1992 or whatever that game yes. was that like was just like legendary like oh man the dante DiVincenzo first day of training camp interview in 2018 did anybody see it a lot of people claim to have seen it not sure many did. Eric name did. Didn't tell me anything about it, though. Just kept alluding to it. Um, so one of the things that was mentioned were those blue squares. And one of the questions asked of him was, you know, is there any sort of penalty for not getting to it? Because I know we've heard in other spots, I think in Philly, um, they've talked about, you know, yeah, I don't know if there's like certain points or something that you get that if you run to the spot. Toronto. 
Oh, are you talking about spots? I know Toronto did that thing last year where I think they were giving different yeah, point yeah. allocations for shots made. You're, but you're talking about actually like tagging the spots, Correct. like like bases or something like that, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. So in Philly, I think the the kind of idea was that everyone on the floor gets a certain number of points during a practice, and you get points for hitting those spots in a certain amount of time or being the first one to those spots. Um, so I, it was asked of Dante, like, is there a penalty for not getting there? And he's like. I don't know if there is, but I don't want to find out. So I'm just going to keep getting to him, um, which I, I thought was was kind of funny and also just kind of interesting that, you know, that it need, I don't, I don't even necessarily know that it needs to be drilled to such an extent, but this is an emphasis for Mike Boonholzer that these are the spots that you need to get to. And I do wonder if it kind of flows into what we heard from Eric Bledsoe the other day where Bledsoe was like, Hey, I don't need to go back for the basketball. We got Malcolm. We got Giannis. They can bring the ball to the floor. And well, if that's the case, then you just got to make sure that you fill those spots. And uh, Mike Boonholzer talked about, you know, we're going to fill those spots and then we can flow into our motion offense and start working from there. And I, I think I don't know that Mike Boonholzer has ever had a great offense, but I think all of the things people were hoping about uh, an offense that spaced the floor for Giannis, uh, an offense that shot more threes, an offense that just generally believed in uh, a more, uh, I don't even know, a more more ball movement, all of those things, like all the things people get excited about in offense. Like, I think all of those thoughts are, are probably going to end up coming to fruition here in this season. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked, we've talked a lot about kind of the fact that the, you know, when you just look at what the bucks were last year, there's more upside and improving defensively than offensively. If you're this, you're talking about this bucks team. Um, and, and that's just because Jason kids, defenses have have underachieved so much the last few years um and i, I don't want to i, I never want to kind of like give short shrift to the idea that the bucks offense still has room to grow for sure because i think as we talked about on the last podcast i mean the, even the bucks were seventh they were way closer to being average than they were elite right like there there was not like you know it's not like they were a dominant offense and and a a bad defense i mean they were i would say a good offense um and a, a subpar defense. Um, it, but it's been interesting though, because I think like as we were talking, I mean, we did our factor fiction exercise yesterday um, and I was looking a little bit more at, you know, some of the, some of the numbers from the Bucks last few years, as well as the Hawks last few years to kind of try to, you know, decode like, well, what, what of these different traits, like whether it's transition offense, transition defense, offensive rebounding, defensive reading, like what, which of these areas, like, do we have reason to believe that, you know, there's actually grounds for, for expecting improvement? And it's, I'd say it's kind of a mixed bag, you know? I mean, I think defensively, um, they were, they were, as I've mentioned, they were actually pretty decent, um, in transition. Um, you know, there's an interesting, um, metric that they have on our, our favorite cleaning the glass website, which is, um, the points added per 100 possessions through transition, which I think is like a good way to sort of, balance out um you know kind of like the efficiency versus frequency of of transition offense and the bucks were slightly above average in both they were actually they led the league in fewest frequency of 
transition points allowed or transition attempts allowed last year. Um, but teams were pretty efficient when they did get attempts, so they were only a little bit above average. Um, and the Hawks were actually, you know, last year they were slightly below average, but the years before that they were ninth, third, and third, going back from sixteen, seventeen to fourteen, fifteen. So again, see my like, previous it, comment about them sucking. Yeah, exactly. But at least when you know when you look at it, like the good Hawks teams were actually they actually lived they actually you know walk the walk um, about yeah. this whole idea of of being good in transition as a starting point and they were that now um, you know but also mentioned you know being good at uh, on the defensive boards we've talked endlessly about the Bucks being terrible at that well the Hawks were not good at the defensive glass I mean the best they were was thirteen fourteen when they were dead average in the league they were in the 20s um the four years after that so um whatever bud is doing systemically you know or or personnel wise in atlanta it did not translate into good defensive rebounding so we'll say you know i don't i I don't think there's necessarily a secret sauce to what bud has systemically to make the bucks magically really good at defensive rebounding um do i think he can make them better in transition even though they were already pretty good. Yeah, the track record seems to suggest that that's something that that we could see. And then I think offensively, you know, when we talk about pace, I think first off, like, and this is something we've talked about too, right? Like the Bucks, even the last few years, were never a team that played really fast just in terms of pace, right? Which is really just kind of a, to me, like just, it's just a descriptive stat about how many possessions are in game. And, you know, there's different things that, that play into that, including like, you know, if you don't grab a lot of offensive rebounds, then your pace is going to be faster. But it's like, is that really like what we're trying to think about when we talk about pace and playing fast? No, it's not like don't get offensive re- <laughs> offensive rebounds, right? Yep. It's on the flip side, limit offensive rebounds for the other team for sure. That's that's part of wanting to be good defensively and playing fast. Um, but again, like pace is a bit to me like it's a flawed stat um, because to me it's like you know it's like the and I think I think you may have used the illusion to like, well, you know, not necessarily running more, but just running smarter and, and doing that. Now, um, I think when you look at like offensively, you know, what the Bucks have done versus what what Budenholz Hawks did. Um, I mean, the Bucks, if you look at this metric, the last four years, this points added in transition per 100 possessions, Bucks were top 10, top nine each of the last four seasons including six the last two years. Um, and so you can argue, well, that's just the Giannis effect, right? And that's very fair um, that maybe that is just, you know. Jabari, too. Had Jabari was good in that as well. Jabari could do it. Yeah, Jabari can, can obviously grab and go as well. And just when he gets the ball, you know, 18 feet out, it catches it in on the go. Like, you know, he doesn't need to take a dribble and he can just finish and, and do stuff yeah. there. Um, so it, I think there's obviously a good argument that it was really – you know, a transition story there or a, a talent story there rather than the Bucks having some sort of, you know, <laughs> really forward thinking approach to transition. Cause you know, last year to me was like one of the first times where it seemed like the Bucks realized that they could actually like find trailer threes in transition, which yeah. was like, Oh, welcome to the 21st century. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, in terms of results, yeah, I mean, the Bucks were, were actually a good transition team. And, you know, if you're looking narrowly at transition play for uh, Atlanta, They've been kind of all over the board. They were below average last year. They were actually 29th in the 16th, 17th season. And then the 15th, 16th season, they were fourth. And the year before that, they were 13th, which was the year when they were had the fifth best offense in the league. So 
I don't think there's really like a clear storyline as far as, you know, Bud's offense being one that has this proven track record of getting out and getting, you know, what we would call transition bas- transition buckets. Um, I think if there's going to be an effect, it's probably more like a half court thing, right? Where you play with that, like he was describing better pace and transition, not stagnating, keeping guys moving, keeping ball moving. Um, to me, that is more of something that, that could kind of translate. Um, but as far as like, does that, you know, does that make Giannis Dedekumbo a lot better? Probably not. But I think the question is, and this is something that Giannis talked about as well, like, you know, does it potentially make other guys better? Hopefully that's the case. And I think when you look at the Bucks from like a lineup perspective, you know, the Bucks' problem last year was not their most used lineups. If you look at their top nine lineups that had 100 plus possessions, all but one of them had a positive net rating, right? The lineups that played a lot last year that had their best players, they were good. Like yep. eight of those nine had had Giannis shockingly I'm gonna you're gonna be shocked at this Eric the one lineup out of the top nine that had a negative net rating had Jabari Parker instead of Giannis at the power forward spot shocking Weird. right you're I know you're I know you just fell over in your chair in shock at that um but yeah if you have Giannis playing the four and you have Chris Middleton by the way Chris Middleton is at small forward in all of these lineups <laughs> um and Bledsoe and and Brogdon Bledsoe's in seven of the nine Brogdon's playing point in the other two um if you have you know Bledsoe Middleton and Giannis out there at the one, three, and four spots, you're probably going to be pretty good offensively. I mean, all these lineups not only had positive net ratings, but they all had um, definitely very much above average offensive numbers. So I think offensively, I think to me, it's probably more about like, you know, can you figure out a system that isn't reliant on your bucket getters just doing their thing, right? And I think that's certainly, I think, a fair criticism of what the Bucks did last year was too much of the offense was just predicated on you know, stand around and wait for Giannis to go draw attention and then wait for him to throw the ball out. And obviously when Giannis isn't on the court, you don't have another Giannis that, that can kind of do that and carry offenses like that. So, you know, I think that's why in large part, we saw a lot of those kind of stark differences between, you know, the Giannis on off metrics. Um, We saw it with Bledsoe as well, just in part because of the injuries to the other point guards. Um, So to me, I think that's maybe the opportunity, you know, can you, you can you be a more effective half court team, um, you know, certainly, um, that's an area that I think there, there's, there's an opportunity for the Bucks to get better, but in fairness as well, they were actually, you know, if you look at it points per play, they were actually seventh in the league last year in half court, which is the best they've been in like a dozen years. So, you know, points per play, they're actually really good. They didn't get many offensive rebounds. Um, but you know, they weren't like a terrible half court team by any stretch last year. Um, but still, I think there's definitely room for improvement there to you know play a better brand of basketball a more sustainable brand of basketball and one that hopefully can also leverage guys other than you know your superstar uber talented guys to you know be able to avoid falling apart when you know you're going with kind of maybe some of the more random lineups out there to me i i thought when i asked mike boonholzer that question today i think he answered every concern you just raised like i don't think he gives a shit about scoring in transition like if i if i'm being frank like Listening to what he said there, like to me, it's what he was saying there is, you know, we got to find something, what we're doing immediately after that, that obviously you're going to be good if Giannis has the ball in transition. It's about, you know, being able to do everything after that. Um, and, you know, like that's kind of where pace is created. And to me, uh, it was, as I was listening to all of it, it's something that I've kind of hammered home a lot now that, you know, like playing playing at a fast pace isn't about transition playing at a fast pace is not screaming at guys. If they take a three 
five seconds into a possession. It's about not screaming at guys if you take a shot with 12 seconds left on the clock instead of waiting all the way down until two seconds. Like it, it's about, you know, finding good shots for all of your players throughout the clock. And, um, for me, it, it, it I, I guess the, the thing that made a lot of sense to me and resonated with me was that, you know, you can get out in transition and Giannis is going to be great in transition. Bledsoe is going to be great in transition. And Jabari last year was going to be great in transition just by being themselves. Like those three great players in transition, no matter what, but you want to be able to be good offensively other ways. So I just thought last year, you know, there was times where they did push the ball up the floor and they would get baskets. And obviously, as you mentioned with the points per possession kind of stuff, like they scored efficiently uh, on the break, but uh, I would be curious. And again, I, I would, I need to kind of research all of this and double check, but I would guess in the semi transition or secondary break portion of an offense, let's say, 18 to 12 seconds on the shot clock, I would guess the Bucks didn't do well. The, and, and when I say well, I mean, weren't taking a bunch of shots during that time and weren't particularly, uh, maybe they were efficient, but they weren't finding easy baskets during that time. And to me, listening to Mike Boonholzer talk about how, you know, pace is inclusive of half court as well as, you know, getting out in transition for fast breaks, like that just kind of spoke to me and the things that they didn't do last year, that so much of what the Bucks did in transition and in the half court was about the individual brilliance of a couple players. Like Giannis is a special player in the half court and in transition. There's no denying that he's a special player at all times. And sometimes you just can be able to score. Like that's what he does. And Chris Middleton at the end of a shot clock, He's quite good in those situations. He's going to be able to score. Eric Bledsoe, he's going to find ways to score in transition because he's faster, he's stronger than guys. And at times in the half court, he's going to bounce off of a point guard and be able to finish. And it, in the last few years, everything has just been about the individual skills and ability of their best players. And I just think everything that he's kind of thinking about is, or at least in that answer, when I asked about it, you know, like, are we talking about pushing pace? Cause the question I asked was, you know, every, I haven't been in an NBA training camp where someone, where a coach hasn't mentioned wanting to push the pace. Everyone, <laughs> if, if we're playing training camp bingo, that in spirited practice, like those are, those are going to be there. Um, so just kind of the idea that, you know, are, are you talking about doing things smarter or, you know, doing things with a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more purpose. And, and to me, that's kind of what it seemed like. And I go back to, uh, that article that was at clean the glass last week about, you know, Hey, these are some, some baskets that the Hawks were able to get off of their fast break where they moved right into their motion offense where, I mean, it was like layups for Dennis Schroeder after like two or three screens. And I mean, no offense to Dennis Schroeder, but he isn't as good as the four best players on this team. Like the, he's not as good as Giannis Middleton, Bledsoe or Brogdon. Like those four are all better than him. Like if he can get those looks, I would certainly hope that those guys can get great looks as well. So I don't know. I just think it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And it's another one of those situations where the perception of the bucks may not match up with the number that the bucks put up. And we've kind of talked about this throughout, um, you know, the bucks were good in transition last year and 
you know, they were good offensively last year, but despite all of that, much of it came down to the one-on-one ability of some of their players. And yeah, I, I think as you watch them, you just thought there are so many ways in which they can grow. And again, they were seventh in offense last year, but I do still think, you know, there is that, that opportunity to maybe not just be a good offense, but you know, jump up in the elite area of offense and it'll be interesting to see if they can actually get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I'm, I'm more curious about the defense, but I think the offense um, is also fascinating for, for the kind of reasons you mentioned, <laughs> right? Um, I, th- I think the funny thing is like, I, I think you could have compelling arguments on both sides of the basketball and that just kind of underlines, Hey, the bucks were the worst scheme team in the league last year, Right. And if not the worst, like probably bottom five on each side of the ball. Not great, Bob. Not great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see. Um, Yeah, I I think it's going to be just um, really fun. And and again, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I'm I'm curious, adjusting to a new coaching staff, like how much of a learning curve is there going to be on both ends? And, you know, we're not going to have a sense of it, obviously, until we kind of get into this seasonal ways. Um, but, but I, I don't know how quickly, you know, again, like maybe defensively, if there's maybe fewer tweaks to generally kind of what they're doing and it's more about just being better and smarter and emphasizing some different things, you know, maybe that part comes a little quicker, but then again, they also have kind of more, more, you know, they, they have kind of farther to go to get, to get good defensively versus offensively. It sounds like they're probably changing more offensively in terms of kind of like the broader kind of <laughs> scheme. And yet, um, you know, fundamentally... There's such a wonderful contradiction. It's yeah. fantastic. Well, and I think offensively, you know, I think I think most, I think we would agree, right? Like offensively, it's much more about like, offense is much more about like, are you talented or not, right? Like offense is much yep. more the roll the ball out. And, you know, if, if our guys are better, we're going to score and you're not, and you're going to have a hard time scoring versus defensively. It's obviously getting much more of a schematic coaching um, you know, non-talent driven type of um, type of question. So, and to me, that's partly also why I'm, I'm more interested in the defense just because I think offensively it's, it's easier to be good and, and hopefully you can tweak this and, and, you know, squeeze even more out of the, what the bucks have to get beyond just being pretty good offensively to, to something great. Um, but defensively, you know, I think that's where, you know, a lot of times coaches can really kind of show, how dynamic they can be and, and, uh, but, but we'll see. I mean, you know, again, maybe not huge changes to the roster, but some, and I think offensively, the other thing we haven't necessarily talked about a lot. I mean, Ursan mentioned it, you know, he was just like play with pace and, you know, like I said, play with a lot of pace, shoot, shoot a little threes, you know, whatever, whatever my Ursan impression <laughs> is. That um, wasn't bad. Was that, was that okay? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd have to really think through like a more, he always says, like I said, like I said, that's like his like yep. filler, Phrase, yes. like I said, like I said, like I said. Um, but uh, he did he did finish up today referencing that that Bud does want them to shoot a lot of threes, which was you know like one of those like you know I don't think Urson was concerned about random hardcore Bucks fans and what we wanted to hear, but um, <laughs> that was you know for those of us that have been just pining to hear uh, that phrase, shooting a lot of threes, uh, that was really nice to see um, given the. <laughs> a version to that um during the jason kidd era so uh so yeah that that would be that would be a very nice thing um and uh man october 3rd first game scrimmage this weekend um 
I'm, I'm jealous of everybody that's going to be able to go to the scrimmage this weekend. Um, I expect um, breathless coverage from you, Eric, this weekend. Um, and hopefully you don't treat it like the secret Dante interview and just allude <laughs> to it, but don't tell me about it. I guess the upside is the Bucks now always televise it and you can rewatch it and stuff like that. So sure. I'm sure I'll be able to watch it. Um, but especially this year, you know, with the, the atmosphere uh, in the new building and, you know, uh, it sounds like going to be an awesome crowd. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's just exciting. And, you know, it's kind of funny cause um, I guess just uh, as a little bit of an aside, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Bucks getting close to 10,000 season ticket holders. And, you know, it's kind of like looking back and, um, you know, like a year or two ago, I mean, they were at like, I think 7,000 going into the last season of the BC. And I think they were, that was well above what they had. I think kind of when, when the new ownership group kind of came in, if I, if I understand correctly, that's pretty crazy, right? I mean, <laughs> I know they've got a better team and there's, you know, it's a more exciting team, obviously than especially two, three years ago. But I mean, to, you know, if you're talking about going even from 7,000 to 10,000, I mean, that's, that's 40 plus percent increase in season tickets. I know that the, like the full, t- the full season equivalents, which, you know, again, includes like partial packages, things like that and adding those up. Um, I think they want to get to like 16,000. I think in previous years it was maybe like 10,000. And obviously the, the talent of the team is one thing. I think the, you know, quality of the seating, basically turning the bowl upside down, you know, having like whatever it was, 7,000 lower, 10,000 upper roughly in BC. And now it's kind of reverse of that certainly helps as well. I think there's just many more good seats to be had, but I mean, they're also charging more for tickets, you know, like tickets are not becoming cheaper in the new building. So the fact that you're increasing ticket prices and you're still seeing this massive increase in, in people buying tickets, um, it's really exciting. And and again, I mean, I think we've, we've seen a lot of times like the Bucks have a little bit of a, um, a renaissance and, you know, like there's a, there's a bit of a lag, right? There's a little bit of a skepticism, like from fans, like, eh, like it's not like they just start selling out all their November games the next year, right? There's a little bit of a like, eh, let's let's prove it, which is understandable given the last you know three <laughs> decades of Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Um, but uh, but it's 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 interesting. I mean, you know, I think um, the the expectations are maybe I don't want to say muted relative last year. Maybe it's more there's a little bit more sobriety around the expectations yeah. this year. Um, but I think they are, I think fundamentally they are higher. I think for us, certainly our expectations are higher than they were a year ago. And, um, you know, obviously I think that's been, you know, public enemy number one in, uh, in the world of, of box basketball has been expectations, right? That's been the one thing that they cannot beat. Uh, it seems is when they have real expectations. So um, as always, we'll see. Um, at some point, the Bucks are going to win a second round or win a first round playoff series, Eric. At some point, right? It, and, yeah, uh, you you would think it. And and uh, and obviously, this year was is as good a time as any. And um, it obviously that's that we're talking about April. We're in October, and um, I I'm actually excited. You know, I think Giannis was saying how he can't wait to get back to the playoffs. I'm excited to just enjoy like a long regular season, you know. I'm 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 hope I I'm, I can recall back watching the the good Bas- Bucks basketball teams of of the early 2000s or I probably shouldn't say plural like the good Bucks basketball team of the early 2000s. <laughs> sure. And it was just like weird when like night in and night out you just thought like the Bucks were going to win. Like, oh yeah, we should win. They should win. Yeah. We're, we're really good. Um I, let, let's get back to that feeling. We'll have a lot of time to talk about it, but let's get back to that feeling. It's really interesting that you bring that up because, it, and again, this is probably more reflective of Twitter than anything, um, but 
the Bucks are obviously selling a bunch of tickets. Uh, season tickets are great, new arena, all this stuff. And it just seems like, and again, maybe it, like you said, maybe it has something to do with uh, like the players and team kind of taking a, a more reserved uh, kind of preseason thought process, but there, it is funny. And I guess maybe it's some of the residual, like, Jabari Parker, you're losing the number two pick. Like, is the organization going in the right way? Like, I, I just see, I end up seeing like a bunch of comments about like, oh, going to be another number, eight, like another eight seed, or uh, you know, they're just never going to win. Like, ownership is is all messed up, and you know, they're just never going to overcome that. And I mean, to some extent, like obviously, we've talked about the the problems with the governor's seed for ownership and some of the decisions and stuff. But like, this team's going to be good. And, like, I just I, it it's kind of weird to see so many people like saying uh, one the eight seed comment like they weren't the eight seed last year. Um, so like that's like that's just not something that they are. Um, and like on top of that, like I kind of get general pessimism about the Milwaukee Bucks. I've obviously followed the Bucks for my entire life. So like I can get it, but man, if there's ever been a time to be excited about Bucks basketball, you have Giannis on the precipice of a possible MVP season. You have a new coach that is overwhelmingly well-respected. Um, I don't think there's like, questions about oh can this guy do the job he's not a first-time head coach like jason kidd was or i shouldn't say a first-time head coach a head coach in his second year um or a former player or anything like this is a guy greg popovich uh disciple like man that's great to have a new coach like that they have a new arena which is awesome it's not the bradley center uh but it is very nice and you have a, a guy in Chris Middleton who just had a career year. Like, there's so many things to be excited about. And yet, I, again, like I said, maybe it's more reflective of Twitter, but on Twitter, I keep seeing people like, oh, I don't know. Bucks are going to blow it or they got to prove it to me. And it's just like, man, I can't remember going into a season thinking the Bucks were going to be as good as I think they're going to be this year since 2000 i mean i i shouldn't even say 2000 it would have been 2001 for the 2001 2002 season like after they had gone to the eastern conference finals like that year it was like oh yeah they're gonna be really good this year obviously it didn't work out it hasn't worked out much since then um but it's just kind of it's kind of weird just kind of square up so hopefully people are excited hopefully uh you know us getting back to podcasting every day has people excited uh because there's nothing more enthralling than our podcast and long uh <laughs> blithering conversation uh but hopefully people are excited because i mean i think i think both of us are, are pretty excited about the season and kind of to to watch and see what the bucks have for for us this season so we'll see what that all looks like all right for frank madden I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.